Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about Remnant from the Ashes, developed by Gunfair Games, published by Perfect World Entertainment. Uh, this game was just very recently released on August 20th, 2019 for Windows, PS4, and Xbox One. Yeah, uh, these guys were, I guess, mostly known for their work on Darksiders 3 recently. It's been just that game and this, and it looks like uh, THQ actually bought them up. Yeah, uh, a lot of consolidation in the industry these days. It seems like these uh, little studios, if they have properties that are promising, are slowly but surely finding their way into the pockets of Ubisoft, EA, or, I guess, THQ? Yeah, I wouldn't call THQ one of the big boys. They actually, they recently just got really broken up, I believe. Actually, they pretty much went bankrupt, and that was part of what happened to Darksiders. It was really good. It kind of disappeared. I think they were trying to figure out what was going on with that IP, but they had evidently hired out Gunfire Games to make Darksiders 3, and then ended up buying them out. And if you play Remnant at all, and if you've played Darksiders in the past, you'll see all kinds of of, uh, parallels there. For one, the art style is just dead, dead on. Like The second you play, you're like, oh, this feels like Darksiders. Yeah, the movement feels like it and looks like it. And if all of that sort of moving of IPs and forming and dissolving of companies was confusing, uh, it is. And that's probably why this release came completely out of nowhere, at least for me. Uh, I had no idea about this game, that it was coming, that it was, you know, even a thing. And then all of a sudden it showed up, started getting hype. And I have to say, it, it generally lived up to its expectations for me. Yeah, it, was, it snuck up on me too. It just kind of popped up on the top of... Uh, Steam, and when you've not heard of a game and it's number one on Steam lists for like three days straight, you're like, okay, what's going on? So, yeah. And I think that's why, why why we're doing this one, right? I mean, we both just kind of picked this up on a whim. It sounded cool. It's got some cool co-op gameplay. We thought it might be fun. And then it's like, hey, we can actually talk about this one. This one's interesting. For sure. And I said it lived up to expectations. I, I guess since my expectations were nothing, this drastically outperformed <laughs> its expectations. Like, I, you know, I think the reason I think we ended up playing this for real is Clint heard the words co-op shooters. I heard the words Souls-like and the rest is history. And that pretty much wraps up the game. It is a little bit of everything to everyone all the time to its detriment and to great joy for everyone. Like every, it, there's something for everyone here. It may not fully flesh everything out, but it's at least there. Yeah, I agree. I think the the Souls likeness was drastically oversold, but I'm not like sad that I played this game by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think it it did bring a lot of interesting stuff to the table. Uh, it, it was kind of sold to me by like various people of the podcast Video Games Intelligentsia as Dark Souls with guns, and eh, I, I disagree with that take on what this game is, but it's still very good and there's definitely some like little souls like elements that make their way into it but i think it's definitely more like a gun game with some souls elements than a uh, souls game with guns yeah and this will be more familiar for people that have played dark siders in the past dark siders is not original at all but it's fun it picks up little pieces it picks up all the best pieces of your favorite games mashes them all together and puts them in a cool setting that and and, and it's it's not original at all and doesn't pretend to be but it's very fun because they're they're playing with some of the best, I guess, features from the best games from the last 10 years. And that's what this game is, too. It's, it's a mashup. So you get a little bit of Souls, you get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Gears of War, maybe? Something like that? 
Yeah, I guess if I was to like list off a bunch of things that I think could have influenced this game, I'm going to come away with the obvious Darksiders. Um, yeah. Crisis, uh, Hellgate London, if you know that, sort of the original loot shooter, Borderlands, Diablo, uh, maybe you know Dark Souls is in there. But um, yeah, there's just there's a lot of interesting DNA in this game, and um, it pulls them all together, generally speaking, in a good way, especially up front. I think this game puts an extremely strong foot forward for its first, you know, world and introduction of its circumstances. Agree. Yeah, and, and on, on the Souls-like side, it was actually a more forgiving Souls, which Souls pisses me off because of its unforgivingness sometimes. Like, with this game, when you die, you don't lose anything. You actually start back at your checkpoint, and you start with full ammo, and you go back in... Okay, that didn't work. Try it again. It's 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 very much a more lighthearted shooter. God, it had some frustrating parts, and I think if it had been truly sticking to the Souls formula where you're losing things every time, I don't know if I could have stuck through it. Yeah, I think what we should probably do is set the stage in terms of what the the moment to moment gameplay looks like for this game. So it is a you know third person over the shoulder shooter um, with pretty terrific gunplay and a pretty good deal of mobility for the player character so you're generally like rolling around out of the way of your enemies firing off shots and you're making your way towards uh interestingly procedurally generated uh overworld maps and then also procedurally generated dungeons uh, which actually show more care than a procedurally generated thing generally does oh yeah and you're sort of uh, checkpointing yourself pretty generously, might I add, checkpointing yourself at these crystals every so often. And that's where you're getting your ammo back and your health, and in true Souls-like fashion, enemies also reset whenever you rest at those. Yeah, and speaking of that procedurally generated part, that was probably one of the coolest parts for me. So you and I played separately and together, and I know, so like in, in the first world, every time you hit a boss, there's one or two or maybe even more options for each of those encounters like you would get a boss that I didn't get at that spot and then I jump into your game and we'd get a boss together that you didn't get solo in your game so it's like you can play this multiple times and I know people play the shit out of Souls games like over and over and over again but I've since we beat this game I've restarted on hard mode and it feels like the same kind of level but it's completely different I'm getting different bosses this time than I got last time it's a whole new experience yeah, it's pretty cool. Every time you start a new campaign or a new New Game Plus, the game will proc gen an entire campaign for you with, you know, uh, all all new layouts, dungeons, bosses, like you said. And um, the coolest thing about that with co-op for me was, like, if I found a quest item in my world, I could complete that quest in your game if you had a similar thread going on on your end. So interacting with NPCs uh, stays persistent between uh, games like I'm not going to lose the rewards I gain for completing a quest in your game and then going back to mine. The game's really generous with how it delivers rewards to you during co-op. Everybody gets everything, you know, rather than being exclusionary or forcing you to sort of divide up the loot or, you know, in worst cases, you know, first grabber steals all, you yeah. know, Diablo style. <laughs> it's that collaboration instead of that co-opetition or whatever they call it. Uh Petition. Jesus Christ, that sounds Randian as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was super cool, though, because we could do things in my game that would, like, we'd make a choice that would net us such reward, knowing full well that in your game we were going to do the opposite thing so that we could get the opposite reward there. And it carries over, no problem. There's no, like, oh, well, you did this, so you can't do this. It's, it's very fluid. 
Yeah, it actually encouraged us to to make different choices between our two games, and it encouraged me to like if I had a quest item, uh, it didn't matter. Like I didn't have to go and like save it to complete that quest in my game. I could, you know, just take care of it while I was playing with you. It 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 really made co op seamless, and it encouraged it uh, heavily. You know, it didn't punish you in any way, shape, or form for um, getting the help of your fellow adventurer. No, in fact, I think that they definitely, they're they're encouraging the co-op gameplay. So I know each of us played some of this game solo. I think I played two or three of the worlds by myself at one point, And then obviously we played quite a bit together. It was fine as a solo game, but it really shone during its co-op moments for sure. Yeah, I think that's another place that this sort of drastically departs from both uh, the more traditional shooters as well as from Souls. Those games are definitely more meant to be played solo and this game like you said is it clearly meant to be played co-op especially on the bosses that becomes apparent because they get quite difficult and uh generally speaking they're throwing a lot of ads at you like you have one big boss on the screen and then a ton of minions that come along with them and if you don't have another person sort of managing that crowd or drawing fire while someone is taking out the boss you're going to be in big trouble and I think that aspect of the bosses is probably my least favorite thing about how they handled bosses and difficulty in this game. Yeah, I mean, they did scale things differently. I mean, every every boss was handled differently, but there'd be certain bosses where if it was single player, the ads would only show up at a certain time or they wouldn't show up at all. Uh, they almost never didn't show up at all. But in, in, And then if you came in in co-op, they would change the lineup a little bit. Not enough to make it so that Solo was the same good experience but enough to make it a little more fair, I guess. So thinking back on, on our time playing through the bosses, did you do you remember how often you died to the actual boss compared to how many times you died to his ads in the boss battle? Because for me, it it feels like I died a lot more to the ads than I did to the actual bosses. It's probably just because you remember because that pissed you off more. <laughs> yeah, and, and it really is infuriating. Like, you made this nice set-piece battle, please let me experience it. Let me like engage with this boss and not have this fucking tree dude with an ax embedding it in my back while I'm trying to focus on our fight here. So can we talk about the time that you rage quit on the final boss? Oh my God, that fucking boss. So um, generally speaking, this game is telling you play bosses with a friend. It's more forgiving with two or three because you can revive each other. Uh, Bosses are cool in this game. They have gimmicks. They have warping, shields. Uh, multiple uh, enemies that like help and attack in tandem or status effects. The final boss breaks all the rules. It throws the efficacy of your weapon and your build completely out the window and opts for this puzzle thing where they teleport you away from your co-op partner should you be playing with one and force you to uh, basically seal the deal on your own. It is isolating. It is boring. It is non-intuitive to the nth degree, and it's just, it, it's a total miss. It's a whiff. <laughs> the word Brian's looking for is infuriating. He rage quit the shit out of this boss, as did I. I did it in a vacuum. I did it by myself. I quit the game for a week. Oh, it, it, it's just, it, it's a real disappointment, you know? Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what they're trying to go for with it, but I didn't love it, and, like, looking at it in the context of all the other bosses, like, yeah, all the other bosses did have ads, but they weren't, I guess they didn't just... They weren't highlighted as so egregious as they were with the final boss. You know, I think, weirdly, the final boss highlighted to me 
the imperfections of a lot of other aspects of the game. And I swear to God, after being that mad at that last boss, I sort of had to relook at the rest of the game and be like, is this something I was just blind to because we were playing co-op? It, it really did make me rethink about the game, and I guess that's good, but I don't know. I don't think this is how a last boss should, should work. No, way too many games do this. This is like one of the, you know, one of the key sins a game can commit. It's like you spend your entire time getting better at this. You learn the mechanics. This is how things work. And then, yes, I'm good at this. Now I can take on the final boss. And a good game will be like, okay, cool. Take all those skills you learned and take down this really tough enemy, but within the rules that we've learned. Yeah, it's last boss as final exam. You know, if it's like one of those things where you're taking everything you learned throughout the semester and applying it in an interesting and novel way, A+. You did a great job on your final boss exam. If they throw something new that wasn't on the syllabus at you on that final exam, you're probably going to be pretty pissed at that professor. Yeah, that's like, uh, you thought this was English 101? Nap, this is AP bias. Suck it, bitches. <laughs> and you're like, ah, we all failed. Yeah, so th- this game definitely did that. It's like, hey, we're going to do something new in the final boss that we've never done before that is completely new to you. We're not going to telegraph it at all, and this is just going to piss you off. And what it does is it creates this um, faux difficulty. Like, this boss is not hard. Actually, after Brian rage quit... Uh, yeah, and yell. He's like, I'm never fucking playing this game again. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll talk to you tomorrow, I guess. I went onto my game and soloed the boss one shot. No big deal. Because I, I knew the secret. Like, once you know the formula, it's easy to take down, but impossible otherwise. Yeah, I hear you. And, you know, I'm not against a puzzle boss. Like, puzzle bosses can be a thing on their own. Like, finding out the secret weakness, that's novel in a different way. This was too far and no telegraphing. It just, yeah. It's just like, hey, we, we've not done this the whole time. Um, and they don't, like, lead you to it. Breadcrumbs, man. Give me some breadcrumbs. Like, even if it's just somebody saying, like, oh, no, like, have you tried this? Or maybe we should try that. Like, there are ways to do this. Or And unless I'm completely missing this in the game and, you know... But, Far be it for me to think there might not be something like this, but yeah, something in like a log somewhere in one of those wards, you know, something talking about the form of this boss and how to defeat it or how you might best defeat it. Um, it, It's just a weirdly unexplained mechanic that governs the entire final fight. And that's, that's odd. I mean, that's odd by even like bullshit, obfuscated Dark Souls standards. That's pretty bad. Yeah, it was definitely frustrating for me, too. Um, like I said, I quit for a full week, and I wasn't sure I'd go back. It was a, like, I'm not sure that I, even after playing for, like, 25 hours, I think at that point, I was like, I'm not sure I would waste another hour on this boss, and I think that's the way you felt, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, well, po- poor design, for sure. They they should really fix that up, because that's going to tick a lot of people off. Yeah, you know, and you, weirdly, I'm sure there's some people out there that thought that was, like, uh, a really brave subversion of everything they've done so far and you know like i don't know I'm, I'm trying to play the straw man or make a straw man here but um it it didn't work for me i guess i'll just leave it at that yeah but despite all that the bosses in this game were were i think one of its strongest features for sure they just kind of missed a little bit on trying something new with the final guy like i said at the top of this boss discussion like there's a lot of interesting stuff that the bosses do in this game um you know bullshit ads aside i think like you said, does those pretty well. This one misfire does not invalidate the entire experience for me. I still think this was a game worth playing. For sure. And to to be sure, we turned around and started playing it from the beginning again. So I guess mm-hmm. that proves the yeah. point. <laughs> exactly. 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I listened to you and came back and beat that boss just so I can sort of put a bow on this game for myself. Before we get too far into that, I guess we should talk about the fact that we're in post-apocalyptic Earth. Basically, something called The Root has taken over Earth. Um, people are living in bunkers underground. It's not really explained, but there's like these havens called wards, I guess. And it and uh, it, it does have some like base exploration where you can go and learn more about the story. And that's also very Souls-like. You know, you learn not through the story itself, but going and reading a book or finding some thing in the corner of a room somewhere and finding out more about the story that way. So you don't have to engage with it at all, but it is actually, it's a good story. Yeah, that base exploration is really interesting, and I think that's one of the best ways this game does environmental storytelling. Once again, putting its best foot forward right at the beginning with uh, a big sprawling base full of uh, survivor NPCs that you can interact with, learn a bit about the history of the world with, and then, um, you know, eventually you shift your sights outward as you're pursuing the founder of that base out into uh, the broader reaches of the apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic Earth. Yeah, and then just as that whole post-apocalyptic Earth trope is, you know, dying out, which you know, whatever. There's only so many times you can you can rehash that. And I thought it was going to start getting old. No, it turns out like you're able to explore other worlds and other dimensions where this same thing is taking root. There, taking root. Ha! Huh. It's it's called the root. Um, yeah, <laughs> the enemy of this game is called the root. Yeah, where, where it is spread out. So, so you, you get to go through like a whole slew of different environments, and it kind of keeps it fresh in that way that there is no single set piece that you have to keep rehashing throughout the game. Yeah, as you mentioned, you you make your way from the ruined earth that's you know uh, toppled skyscrapers to the world of Rome, which is a desert high tech world that's been nuked to oblivion, to the swampy nasty world of Corsus, which is my least favorite because it's basically the sewer level of this game <laughs> and uh yesha the beautiful uh avatar like world of you know blue green dark twilight jungles yes yeah, summer nights with with uh, fireflies and stuff like it's that. basically like the hakuna matata scene from lion king i like that one a lot i gotta be honest <laughs> yeah, I would say that's my favorite world aside from Earth. Just because Earth, I felt like they had more care put into it. The most environmental storytelling, the most interesting NPCs. Um, I think, to me, this uh, speaks of a game that maybe needed a little more time to bake, given that their first act was so powerful, and their they, all the ideas they like kicked off with in that first act didn't really make their way into Acts 2, 3, or 4. Yeah, I totally agree. This just screams of a game that had so much to offer at the beginning and so many ideas that they just probably ran out of time. Like we literally can't do all this. They started out with this really ambitious project and was like, look at this, you can do this, you can do this and you can play 10 times over and never see the same thing again. And then they realized like, holy crap, we can't, if, if we wanted to put that same care throughout the entire, you know, 30 hours or more of this game, it would release in 2022. We need to get this out the door. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point, and I, I totally agree. And it sort of uh, 
to circle back around to the point I was going to make on enemies, speaks to how they're generally speaking sort of palette swaps of each other. There's grunts that have like a long range attack, but mostly try and attack you up close. There's slightly more large enemies that um, will ruin your day and take a lot more hits. And there's sort of small rusher enemies, like uh, in the first world, they take the form of little spore monsters. In the second world, they're dogs. Um, but generally speaking, you're you're finding your grunt enemies in one of those three archetypes throughout each of the worlds. Yeah, and, and they changed it up just enough so that it so that it wasn't annoying. I think, or really obvious that it was just a reskin. I mean, they 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 changed a few things up. I was going to say, looking at my play clock on this game, uh, we uh, beat the game tonight, and I'm uh, at 21 hours. And, you know, that speaks to a guy who also received a lot of help via co-op. But this is not a game like Souls where you're getting that huge enemy variety, and uh, it is taking you upwards of 50 hours to beat. It's a more bite-sized experience. So, you know, like you said, these enemies may be reskins. They may not be as varied as you might expect from another property but the game's not overstaying its welcome so it's not a mortal sin in my opinion yeah definitely not i I just looked at mine i think i'm sitting at 34 hours now and to be fair i played a lot of my games solo i think i we we went up to a point in co-op and then you had to go away for a little while for some reason so i pretty much played through the rest of the game solo almost to the end and then came back and then played back through with you and throughout none of that did i get bored with this i guess i should say in fact i think i was I was pushing you for a minute to, to get back in there. You were, yeah. You were like, come on, I, I need to get further in the game. But yeah, I, I go away for a minute. What, you make it sound like I had to go to rehab or something, Clint. Jesus, I think I just went away for a work trip. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. You're gone. Might Brian as well had to go rehab. to video game rehab, so uh, he didn't. He couldn't make it to play more more Remnant. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm surprised at myself for remembering the name Remnant, which, God, Remnant from the Ashes. Can we talk about how piss poor this name is it's pretty generic (laughs) but whatever it's really awful like it's up there in like my worst video game names of the last five years for sure along with battle chasers night war yeah i gotta be honest i would have not i would have not bought this game had i just seen the steam page i would not have given it a second thought but after looking again it's just it topped the charts and sat there for days i'm like okay well this can't be nothing let let me read into this a little bit more and i started checking into it i'm like ah. This could actually be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it it is. And, you know, I think the thing about a game that begs to be played co-op is you're automatically going to get, like, a plus one star of star ratings from me if I'm having a good time co-oping with a friend. So, like, this game could have been, like, a two out of five, and all of a sudden it's a three out of five because co-op's fun. Or, you know, uh, likewise, a four out of five becomes a five because you're adding that co-op element. It's always going to make things more fun. Yeah, and the cool thing about this game is it had enough variety to keep it interesting. It had an interesting story, but the controls. I mean, if you get a shooter with shit controls, scrap scrap it. Yeah, it had it had really good action, really solid actions. The the gun the guns felt good, impactful. Um all in all, mechanically the game is pretty sound. The only thing I would say from a a combat mechanics perspective is they the guns are good. I don't think they dole them out in quite a fast enough way and they also don't really encourage you to play with a variety of guns because you need to invest so much in upgrading a gun for it to be effective i think the game suffers a little bit from lack of build variety and lack of fluidity between builds like you're kind of boxing yourself into a 
particular weapon set and skill set pretty early on. And given the fact that everyone can get all of the different traits, which is the other way you build up your character from the outset, and you can't respec, that kind of limits your choices on a given playthrough. Yeah. I mean, I ended the game with my starting rifle and a sidearm that I got within the first hour by exploring around inside the base. And and that's what I ended with. And to be fair, you get a new weapon every time you fight a boss. You get a you get an item that you can either use to craft like a weapon modification or a new weapon itself. I mean, they gave you plenty of things, but I was still wearing the same armor and using the same guns from the first hour at hour 34. Yep. And I think that's that's sort of a misstep because there are a lot of really cool weapons and items in this game, and they should find a way to make it a little easier for the player to actually make use of them. Yeah, because I always felt like I was behind. Like I had invested so much in getting my hunting rifle built up that by the time I got the cool thing like the laser beam rifle that that you got, it's just like, well, I'd have to start all the way over, and it's nowhere near as it's not going to be anywhere near as good for you know hours and hours. Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think of uh, what what games have done this extremely well. I think Dark Souls does it well. Um, they they make upgrade or early level upgrade materials available to purchase pretty early on in that game so what that would equate to in this game is if you could like say buy iron hardened iron and galvanized pretty quickly after those were introduced as being needed to keep your weapons relevant introducing a mechanic like that would have made you able to you know swap between different builds more readily in this game and possibly help lengthen out the amount of time i'd want to spend with it personally I, I know what the key is here. It is play on hard mode. So I finished the game and re-rolled on hard, and immediately the things that I'd been having such trouble finding to get things upgraded, I was, it was handing out like candy. So like 10 minutes later, I'm like, sweet, I now have a whole new build I can try. So now in hard mode, I'm trying things differently than I did in my original. But in that one playthrough, yeah, you're kind of limited. Yeah, usually what they'll do or what games will do if you know you want to get to a point where you can try out different builds is they'll put like some sort of corridor or dungeon where you can farm these things pretty easily or a place that you pass through often will be heavily laden with upgrade items so that you can amass them and make changes to your character as you go this game didn't really have anything like that there wasn't you know you were pretty much for all of the interconnectivity of this world of the various worlds you're still kind of just going down a straight path through them for the most part in this game so you're not revisiting areas very much at all no the only revisit area would have been uh the labyrinth but you really don't do anything in there other than move around between things and that's it there's nothing there's nothing in there yeah, agreed. And the, I think the Labyrinth was actually one of the big disappointments of this game for me, too. That was uh, effectively supposed to be your second hub, right? Like your first hub, Ward 13, the initial settlement that you're in as you start this game, um, had a lot of character, had a lot of interesting stuff going on in it. And the Labyrinth, to me, begged to be the second one of those. Like maybe you find some like inhabitors or keepers of the Labyrinth that can tell you more about the game or something like that. Or maybe, at the very least, you... I mean, they give you a little bit of environmental storytelling there, but you're right. It's just... It's empty, and it's basically just, like, a glorified menu for choosing the different worlds. Yeah, again, this is one of the things that screamed, like, we had ideas for this, but we ran out of time. And I bet you we see... uh, So, because it was such a success, I... I strongly believe we'll end up seeing quite a bit of DLC. This game sets itself up for it. That labyrinth is like, hey, this is happening in all these other worlds. Here's how you get to those worlds. I bet you we see plenty of DLC in, in, in that way. And I bet you when that happens, they'll 
do something with the labyrinth and make it more like that second hub, but I think they just ran out of time. Yeah, there's so many good ideas here. The mechanics are sound, and <clears throat> the lore is actually pretty cool as well, how there's like this dreamer that opened up a window to another world that ended up actually being a door. Yeah, that was one of my favorite lines. They're like, we thought it was a window, but it was a door. Bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, an, it's an interesting idea where they, you know, they have this sort of new technology that allows people to... Uh, or, you know, certain individuals to open rifts across the stars to bring in these crazy, you know, extrastellar threats. And it it really does beg, like, let's see even more worlds. It's pretty easy to sort of bolt additional things onto that type of framework, as long as they're, like, good ideas and they can sort of all be interconnected in interesting ways. I think there's a lot they can do with that. For sure. And I, and I am excited to see what they do. If they put something out, I'll probably check it out, for sure. I agree. Yeah, uh, Remnant Risen from the Ashes, uh, the next iteration will be uh, on my wish list for sure. (laughs) So what do you say we hit some three-word reviews? Sure, let's do it. I'll go first. Uh, So my three-word review is a mixed bag for a lot of reasons there were times where i hated this game there's times where i loved this game but ultimately i still played it for 34 hours uh and i would play more uh it had a mix of gaming influences from just across the board everything from souls gears of war all the other ones you mentioned it's it's just got a lot to it um, and the, the random level generation where it just continues to be different every time you play it. Like, there's just so much here. It's mixed up every time. A little bit of everything. And I think uh, people should definitely give it a shot. It's a thumbs up for me. My three-word review is a great start. This game put a lot of really interesting ideas right out from the start. Uh, mysterious circumstances, environmental storytelling, solid combat, and compelling co-op. Uh, but at the in the end... It ran out of steam with a lot of those ideas for me, and you know, as we talked about, uh, it kind of forgot all of the charming things it did up front and just sort of opted to be another corridor shooter, albeit with great mechanics. Um, the triumph of co-op boss battling was kind of undercut by a baffling choice on the last boss where they just sort of threw a lot of the mechanics that made the game endearing from a combat perspective out the window. And to me, it seems like if they could make another one of these and, as we said, give it a little more time to bake, we could have something really special. So I give this a, you know, a one thumb up and say, you know, please earn that second thumb from me because there's something here. It just needs a little more time to bake. So from us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. Talk about how your character in this game comes from a random island with a sword. Yeah, for some reason it's like he's never seen guns before and he shows up, he's like, guns? And then all of a sudden you're like the master at being a hunter. Like, I'm I'm, I'm just shooting sniper rifles three seconds after, after never having seen a gun before in my life, evidently. I don't know what happened. 
th this game, like, the opening cinematic seems like it's from a different game. Oh, like, for sure. It's, <laughs> it's so bizarre. Like, you show up with a medieval claymore, and you start slaying these tree creatures in, in a ruined city, and then all of a sudden, like, there's fucking marines with submachine guns, like, coming to your aid, and it's like, what? Wait a minute. What, what's going on here? And I, I thought it was super interesting, but... Can we talk about the civilization with the swords that your player character came from? Let's revisit that. That yeah, sounds neat. I'm wondering if he came from... Well, there's a possibility that he came from one of these many other worlds. We don't know. Mm. Your guy doesn't yeah. talk. It's it's one of those silent protagonist things. People talk at you, but not the other way around. And I, Nice I, job of theory crafting there, Clint. Maybe you should write a fanfic. Oh, I'll get right on that. I got so much time. <laughs> <laughs>